Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're going to jump right in. We're continuing a series today. Uh, We started last week on the armor of God. And last week we spent some time, uh, first of all, establishing the need for this armor. Paul said that the battle we face, it might appear physical, but actually it is spiritual at its core. And he wrote to the church at Ephesus, uh, he said, Our battle that we fight, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but our our struggle is actually against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Uh, And then Paul said, recognizing that this is a spiritual battle, a legitimate spiritual battle, God has given us spiritual armor. Now, commonly uh, throughout the New Testament, we have this imagery that we find where the moment that you come to Christ, a transformation takes place in your life. Uh, It is an instantaneous transformation. I'll show you a few of these. Uh, A couple of them Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. In Hebrews 10.14, it says, By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And one more, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, Paul writes, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I gave an example uh, a few months ago of what that would look like when I brought Rob up here. And it's, it's the imagery of taking a coat and draping it over someone's shoulders. So there's not work involved for you. You just uh, accept this coat being uh, draped across your, your shoulders. That's the imagery of being clothed with Christ. Now what I want you to see in all three of these verses is it's past tense. It is done. It's accomplished. The moment you come to Christ, you are a new creation, spiritually speaking. It is done. But here at the end of Ephesians, Paul uses language that's just a little bit different, but highly significant. So we're going to look at that for a moment in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, I want you to notice that it's not past tense. Uh, Paul does not say, you have been clothed with the armor of God. Actually, what Paul says is he says, it's been made available to you, but he instructs you to take it up. Uh, So much of our spiritual transformation It is instantaneous the moment you come to Christ. But Paul says in the case of the armor of God, it's actually an instruction that you need to now take it up. You don't wake up dressed for battle that day. You actually have to have intentionality behind it. It's available for you to put it on. But Paul says you have to put on the armor of God. And Paul actually specifically says you have to put on each and every piece of the armor of God. Now last week uh, we looked at the first piece in the armor uh, that we're instructed to put on. And Paul referred to it as the the belt of truth. Uh, We talked about how a belt in Roman armor, remember he's in a a Roman prison so he's, he's studying the Roman soldiers who are guarding him, a belt in the Roman armor was not like a belt that we wear today that only holds your pants up. The belt was actually the central point in the armor. 
It, it kind of held everything together. It's where everything came together. It was probably the most essential piece of the entire uh, suit of armor. The breastplate would rest on the belt. The sword and the dagger would hang from the belt. It was essential, and it was central to the entire suit. And that's why Paul called it the belt of truth, because being rooted and grounded in truth is essential to standing your ground in the midst of spiritual battle. And I just want you to think about it for a minute, because given how important truth is in the Bible, is it any wonder that, that in our world today, this is where the battle lines have been drawn? It's over truth. You would think our faith would be coming under attack or the word of God would come under attack, but really what's under attack in our culture is truth. Is truth relative? Or is truth based on how you feel this morning? Is truth, what is the ultimate source of truth? And you have all of these voices in our culture saying, truth is however you feel it is today. You have your truth, I have my truth, but the reality is the Word of God has the whole truth, and this is what we stand firm in. Now, understanding this truth, it is so important, and Paul went to such great lengths to make sure that his audience recognized the truth of who God was, the truth of who we are in Christ, the truth of the Word of God. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you uh, to, to look up um, the podcast, or go back and watch the video uh, because we did a, a whole, uh, whole message on the, the belt of truth. But today we're going to move on to the next piece in the armor, and it's found in the same verse uh, as the belt. It's Ephesians 6.14. It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now remember, we are talking about, uh, as Paul put it, a real and a legitimate spiritual battle. So we need to understand that this is a legitimate need we have to understand what is a breastplate of righteousness and how do we wear a breastplate of righteousness. Now I have a, a picture on the screen just to show you real quick of, of what the breastplate would look like. Uh, and uh, I want you to notice something on this breastplate. Um, first of all, the, the ultimate purpose of it is pretty obvious. It's to protect a soldier's vital organs or particularly, that word, the heart. Uh, specifically, to protect their heart. Now, an interesting side note is you can kind of tell from this image, but not fully, that the, the breastplate in a Roman suit of armor uh, typically did not spread around to the soldier's back. Uh, and in fact, in a Roman soldier, there was almost no protective covering on their back. And that was actually intentional. Uh, the Roman suit of arm, armor was intentionally designed to discourage a soldier from turning around and running away from the battle. So they wouldn't give them any covering on their back. And in the same way, we're not supposed to flee the battle. We're supposed to stand firm in the midst of the battle. And that's what this series is all about. But what we're talking about here is protecting your heart in the midst of a spiritual battle. Um, now, when the Bible talks about the heart, uh, it doesn't typically talk about it in terms of it, the organ that pumps blood. Uh, throughout the Bible, the heart uh, represents kind of the epicenter of your emotions and your will and just the core of who you are. Uh, why did Pharaoh refuse to let the Israelites go? Because his heart was hardened. Uh, when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all of your heart. It is everything within you. And in fact, the Bible 
it talks about the heart uh, more than 700 times, and it's almost never in reference to a, a, an organ in your body that pumps blood. It's almost always uh, in reference to with all of your heart, your emotions, your strength, your will, the core of who you are. And when Paul is talking about the importance of donning a piece of armor that protects your heart, it's not talking about that organ that pumps blood, but it's talking about protecting your will and your emotions, uh, your soul, everything within you. And what Paul is saying is, is in the midst of a spiritual battlefield, you have to be intentional about protecting your heart. Uh, now, Paul, if he is portraying this importance of protecting your heart, I, I want to show you uh, uh, very quickly, this is very consistent with the rest of Scripture. Um, Solomon is considered the wisest man of his day, one of the wisest men, uh, if not the wisest man to ever live. He wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, but only one proverb began with a specific phrase that I want to show you. It's in Proverbs 4.23. He starts the proverb with these words, above all else. And what he's doing is he's listing proverb after proverb, uh, wisdom after wisdom, and he gets to this one and he says, but this one, above everything else, do not forget this one proverb. And when he continues, he says, above all else, guard your heart. If you don't listen to anything else I say in the entire book of Proverbs, all of my teachings, above all of them is this, guard your heart. Now, the reason that we would think for this would be so that you don't get hurt. You know, that's, that's why we tell our daughters, guard your heart, because I don't want you to get hurt. Well, there's a legitimacy to that, but that's not what Solomon is referring to here. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything that you do flows from it. Solomon said, this is the reason you have to be so careful with your heart, because everything you do and everything you say flows from that place. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 45. He said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, what we do in life and what we say in life is just a manifestation of what is in our hearts. What we do and what we say comes from the overflow of our hearts. So what does that mean? That means uh, if you have a short temper or you're prone to gossip or you fear and you worry a lot, what Solomon and Jesus would say is examine your heart. Uh, maybe the problem isn't that sin that keeps creeping back up. Maybe the problem is actually a heart issue. So Solomon says, protect your heart. Guard your heart because everything you do, everything you say flows from that place. And what Paul says specifically uh, is we are to protect our hearts with righteousness, with this breastplate of righteousness. Now, the challenge with understanding that is the term righteousness is a very broad term. Uh, there are, are a number of ways you can interpret that. I'm going to show you three this morning, and I'm going to let you know off the top that I think Paul used, used this very broad term on purpose because I don't think it's a uh, find out which one of these is correct. I think it's actually we need to kind of gather all of these and recognize that we protect our heart in all of these ways when it comes to righteousness. Now, the, the first meaning of the word righteousness simply means right standing. 
right standing before God. Now, this is true of you the moment you come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who, knew, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A translation of this verse is, Jesus took all the bad from you and gave you all of his good. You are righteous in Christ because when you come to Christ and the Heavenly Father looks upon you, He sees the blood of His Son. He sees His Son in you and He sees the righteousness of His Son in you. So we have right standing with God, not because we have earned it, but because Jesus died on the cross and through faith in Him, we have right standing with God. How do we protect our heart with the understanding that we have a right standing with God? Uh, we talked a little bit last week about how in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul really wants them to stand on truth. And when we went through Ephesians, what we found is Paul is just hammering home the truth of who you are in Christ. Because this is the first place that Satan will attack you at. He will come to you and he'll say, uh, what did he say to Jesus in the garden? He said, if you really are the son of God, right? Well, God had already said that to him. And he's challenging his identity and saying, are you really who God calls you? Are you really righteous? Because I saw what you did last week. How could you say that you're righteous? And what Paul says is stand firm in the knowledge of the truth and in the, the breastplate of righteousness protecting your heart is understanding, first of all, I have right standing with God. I can approach the throne of God with confidence and boldness, not because of what I've done, but because I have faith in a Savior who has done it for me. And if we follow the course of the entire Old Testament, it is story after story after story of a people who are attempting to earn righteousness and earn right standing with God. And what we find is it is impossible. It's all pointing to our requirement that says we have to have a Savior do it for us. Another, uh, another translation of the word righteousness would mean this, right action. So in, in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this in chapter 6. He says, you men of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, and love, and endurance, and gentleness. And I just want you to notice these words, faith and love, because we're going to come back to them in a minute. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. So Paul is talking about this again, an instance of fighting the fight of faith. And he says, as a part of this fight, we pursue righteousness. And then he writes to him again another letter in 2 Timothy 2.22, and he repeats himself. He says, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness. And then again, he says, faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord of a pure heart. And I want to show you uh, why I'm highlighting these words in just a moment. But you know, what he is saying is, is we should be pursuing justice and righteousness and truth and, and bringing things back to the way that God intended them to be. You know, Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that what is right about heaven would be the reality on earth. We are praying in righteousness. And the fact that we are righteous before God does not negate that we are called to pursue righteous acts in life. I wanted to show you something real quick because a lot of this is interchangeable. So Paul, 
He mentions a breastplate again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. He says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. So he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And then in, in another passage here, he talks about the breastplate of faith and love. And all of these passages I've just read in Timothy, he's putting all of this together. He's talking about faith and love and righteousness and godliness and endurance and gentleness because the reality is that's how it's supposed to be. That is what we're supposed to be pursuing for the kingdom of God. Righteousness in terms of action is not something that is passive. We are actually called to pursue righteousness and to pursue justice. Uh, Isaiah put it this way in chapter 117. He said, learn to do right. I, I love that he had to put it that way. Uh, learn to do right. It'll be up there in a minute. Isaiah 117 Learn to do right. Maybe not. You can look it up. Um, but uh, <laughs> he said, learn to do right. Seek justice and defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Isaiah says that doing right is actually something that we have to learn and train ourselves to do. And then he says, seek justice. And when the Bible talks about taking up the cause of the fatherless, pleading the case of the widow, what he's talking about here is fight for those who can't help themselves. Uh, in Scripture, uh, the, the widows, they, they had no one to support them. And the instruction here is take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And one more interpretation of the word, word righteousness that I want to look at. Uh, it involves Abraham. Uh, he's at the center of this because for generations, Abraham was a man who was remembered for his righteousness. And we think about that and we say, well, well what all did he do? What all did he accomplish uh, in the vein of righteousness? Uh, Genesis 15, 6 sim simply says this, Abram believed the Lord and it was a credit to him as righteousness. So righteousness, it can be, uh, it, it can be translated as right standing, it can be translated as right action, and it can actually be translated as right believing or, or right faith, really. Uh, and this passage about Abraham, it's referenced uh, at least four times throughout Scripture. They would constantly call people back to this to remember that Abram was a man who was credited uh, righteousness simply because he believed. In fact, uh, Paul spends a lot of uh, Romans chapter 4 just on this topic of what that means uh, to be credited righteousness on the basis of faith. So uh, what is the context here? Um, like I said, I think it's all of them. And what Paul is saying is we actually protect our heart by pursuing righteousness, by understanding our own righteousness before God. We protect our heart by believing in God for our righteousness by, by our faith. I want to show you one more thing uh, this morning before we close. The, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, it's actually not unique to Paul's writings. It was actually used by the prophet Isaiah more than 700 years before Paul. Uh, and, and Isaiah is speaking of a time when the people of God have, in large part, walked away from God. And there's very few people remaining who are following God's ways. And I'll show you the first four verses here just to, to paint a picture of how bad things were. 
Uh, it's in Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 1. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, and neither uh, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from, from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue muttered wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and lies, and they conceive trouble and give birth to evil. So all of this is happening, and then God continues speaking through Isaiah in uh, verse 14. He says, so justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. And he says this, truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes the prey. And I want to just sit there for a minute, because as I said that last week, this is an image of America today. Truth is nowhere to be found, and if you stand up against evil, you become the prey. You become the target if you stand up against evil. Isaiah prophesied this almost 3,000 years ago. That this is the, the culture and the world we live in. If you stand up for what is good, you will become the prey. You will be, call, uh, be called evil. He says, truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil becomes the prey. And the Lord looked at all of this and was displeased. Why? Because there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. And now this is speaking of God in verse 17. It says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So long before Paul ever said that we are to don this breastplate of righteousness, the Bible says this is actually something that God has done that God took this on his heart to, to plead and, and to fight for righteousness. If, if you read the context of here, this is not passive. God is fighting to make things right among his people. Renee, could you come? Um, we have a calling, church. We have a calling to pursue righteousness, which means to seek to make things right. To, to not sit back passively and say, well, I, have, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, so I'm set, so I can just sit in my seat, and uh, one day I'll, I'll die and go to heaven, and that'll be that. You do have the righteousness of God in Christ, and glory to God for that. You also have a calling in Christ to pursue righteousness for the kingdom of God, to, to seek to make things right. And when we go out in this world and we see that so much is broken don't ignore it you have been given the message the gospel message of Jesus Christ Paul said that this, this whole idea of righteousness in a spiritual battle it will protect your heart righteous manner and, and having a righteous faith, understanding your righteousness, but even I want you to see if you are pursuing righteousness for God it protects your heart 
from all the paths that you could go down. If you, if you think of what, what Paul said in Philippians, he said, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. This is what it means to think about righteousness and to pursue righteousness is, is these things are constantly on our mind. And Paul says in the midst of spiritual battle, this will actually protect your things that we have to remember in our culture is that Paul said first, there is the belt of truth. And this breastplate, it rests on that belt of truth. It's almost disheartening that the Bible talks so much about our call to pursue justice. And we live in a culture that has kidnapped that word justice and manipulated it so much that I don't want to pursue it. And that's why Paul says it rests on the truth of the Word of God. We are to pursue justice, but we know biblically what justice is. It's making the wrong things right. So when we turn on the news or maybe you have friends that, that tell you you don't seek justice because you don't do this and you don't support this cause and you don't support this cause and you're not waving your flag. No, we support justice based on the Word of God. Our, our breastplate of righteousness hangs on the truth of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that I pray that we would be spurred into action, Lord, and that we would pursue righteousness. I pray that our hearts would be protected by your righteousness, Lord. This morning we just invite you to speak, Holy Spirit. We pray you move in this place and in our hearts.
for being here today, church. Uh, Dave for the outreach, Brian for the fireworks, me for the baptisms. What about you guys? No, nothing. If you, if, have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.